Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Interlude Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Eleanor Toplinski. I am a board-certified medical oncologist specializing in breast and gynecologic cancers, and I started this podcast as a way to share the journeys and experiences of women who are going through and have experienced cancer in some way. Today, we have a very different uh, episode and an exciting collaboration, so I'm going to let the people who are joining us introduce themselves. Uh, hi, everybody. Um, my name is Isabella Gardula. I was diagnosed in 2016 at 33 years um, age. Uh, I was uh, estrogen and HER2 positive, and currently I'm a patient advocate and a helpline volunteer with Living Beyond Breast Cancer. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. And Isabella was one of, was the first guest on the podcast, so it's all because of her that it's taken off. So thank you. <laughs> So she's also our first returning guest. Yes, glad to be back. Uh, Jess, you want to take over? Sure. I'm Dr. Jessica Taff. I'm a triple board certified internist, hematologist, and medical oncologist. I trained at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., and then NYU in New York City, and now see patients in private practice uh, in New Jersey, and I run at my cancer doctor on Instagram. Welcome. Thank you. And so Jess and I trained together at NYU. Yes, Dr. Triplinski was my first fellow when I was a resident. <laughs> well, small worlds, and then we kind of found each other on Instagram, and here we are. Nicole? Hey, hey guys. Um, my name is Nicole Giller. I'm a registered dietitian. I specialize in oncology nutrition with adults um, during and after cancer treatment. Currently, I have a private practice um, virtual dietitian at Oncology dot Nutrition dot Strong, where um, yeah, we just talk nutrition and oncology. Okay. Awesome. Welcome. And last but not least. Hi. Um, I'm a current second year hematology oncology fellow. I'm in New Orleans currently. I was in Michigan for my residency and I, I, I started my Instagram account, the MD Kitchen with an emphasis on nutrition. And I'm hoping to carry that through, through my oncology practice whenever I graduate and Perfect. What I wanted to do by having everyone on was to really kind of talk about the role that nutrition and the food that we eat plays in cancer. And we all know there is a thousand different diets out there, a thousand different foods out there that are good, that are bad. And the point of this episode today is not to kind of talk about any or pass judgment on the foods that people eat, but there are certainly some guiding principles that are important when we're talking about nutrition and cancer. So what I want to do is just kind of have a discussion about that. And I'll start by Isabella asking you, as a cancer survivor, what was your experience with nutrition during chemotherapy and then afterwards? So I always thought like I'm like I was like a kind of healthy eater, but um, when I was first diagnosed, uh, my hospital gave me like a folder, and the back of that folder was like a book about the nutrition and cancer. And when I read about it, it gave me a little bit like more info and kind of like a guidance what to avoid and what to kind of um, concentrate more. Um, so like the biggest thing was like to stay away from the processed meat. Uh, I used to love like cooked ham, you know, in a cold cuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my, that was my first, like, uh, you know, like at the deli section. So, uh, I definitely stay away from the cold cuts. That was my first, uh, big thing. I stay away from, uh, hot dogs, red meat, um, any steaks. And I stay away from the restaurants as when I was going during the chemotherapy it was the holiday season. And they were saying like, you know, during the holiday season, you have a lot of like uh, 
flu stomach uh, outbreaks and stuff like that. And uh, so I stay away from that and I concentrate on more on getting my nutrition from food and vitamins from food other than just like a pill form. Um, also during the chemotherapy, um, you know, we don't feel like eating. We're nauseous. We're constantly nauseous. Um, you know, the appetite is not that great. So I set up my, uh, on my phone, like an alarm every three, four hours, just to remind me, you have to eat something, you have to eat something. And I'll basically force myself to eat something just to be on schedule because I, although I knew I didn't feel like eating, I knew that my body, it, 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 it needed those nutrition. So I think it's important to put that on a spike, um, you know, it's, it's crazy to put it on a, as an alarm clock every three, four hours, but I, that's what, what was working for me. And I was cooking a lot of um, food at home um, and I was eating a lot of fruits. And I just, um, like I said, I sat around the clock. So that's, that's great. And I think those are really helpful tips that people can use as they're going through treatment. Nicole, see patients during chemotherapy, like what kind of things do you advise them? And where, when do you see them? Do you see them before they start chemo? Do you see them during chemo? Like, and what works best? So I see patients, um, usually during, it kind of depends on, you know, what stage they're at. And then I also see them after. So that's a really good tip. Um, as far as what Isabella said about setting an alarm, that's absolutely a good idea because when you're feeling so terrible during cancer treatment, based on what your side effects are, that just may not be one of your priorities. Um, so really it's very individualized. You have to look at what side effects they're battling. Um, but that's a, that's a great tool as far as, you know, we don't have a lot of appetite, you know, having someone remind you setting an alarm, but just really, um, just opening up those food choices to anything. You know, during cancer treatment, they're, you know, unless it's going to be like food drug interaction, you know, which is going to be rare and your doctor will definitely be on top of that. I would not limit anything just because it could be so challenging to get in enough nutrition. Um, so that usually ends up working really well with patients when you just say, hey, you know, you don't need to worry about, you know, making the wrong choice. You know, we just want to work around your side effects and maintain weight. So that usually helps um, allow them to get more creative and you know, we just don't want them feeling worried or guilty on top of their food choices on top of that treatment, right? So um, just, you know, really making sure they know that they can have anything that they feel like as long as they're just maintaining weight and emphasizing protein. If you could say three tips if people say, I need to increase my calories, what are three ways that they can do that? So liquid calories. <laughs> so usually um, increasing, yeah, like peanut butter, ice cream, whole milk, butter, olive oil, cheese. Uh, that's where I would start pouring it on. Yep. Okay. And <laughs> yeah. then um, for the oncologist, you know, what's your relationship with patients and, and nutrition, right? So at least on my consultations, people always say, what should I eat? Um, so what do you guys tell them? So this is Jessica Taff. So I usually tell patients during treatment not to try to limit what they're eating to eat really whatever they can tolerate. So this is Kareen, uh, one of the hematology oncology fellows. I usually, when I usually, when I see patients, that um, me for initial consultation and they're about to undergo chemotherapy treatment, I tell them, you know, if their goal is to lose weight, to try to postpone that goal until after we complete their treatment um, and to really focus on maintaining weight, you know, obviously depending on what the cancer type is, um, there might be more weight loss with the treatment, but, you know, whether someone is only going to be able to tolerate, you know, buttery mashed potatoes for the duration of their treatment, you know, 
that is what they should eat if that's the way that they're going to maintain calories. Um, I often encourage my patients to add boost or ensure or some of these liquid supplements if they're losing a lot of weight during their chemotherapy treatment. Um, and I think also some of the food preparation guidelines during chemotherapy in terms of hand washing, avoiding, you know, pre-made buffets and things like that is important. Um, and, you know, not to, you know, when hot foods are kept hot and cold foods are kept cold, not to have things at room temperature for long periods of time that um, yeah, I think that's that's really, really great advice and good practical tips that people can use. I'm sorry. Hi, it's Isabella. I just want to come clear because mashed potatoes, th- like three days post-chemo, they were my life savior <laughs> and, and a bagel. So yeah, I'm a healthy eater, but for like, you know, after the AC chemo, like bagels and mashed potatoes, oh, I love them. So yes, I'm going to come clear. I'm not, I, I wasn't a healthy eater. But that's okay. And I think it's important. And one of the reasons that I want to do this is to tell people that, you know what, you don't have to, you know, eat that steamed broccoli and, you know, you you should eat whatever you want and you shouldn't feel guilty about eating that. You got to maintain your calories and your weight. That's the most important thing. But other than uh, maintaining the calories, I think was just what felt the best for my belly. You know, you're so Mm -hmm. nauseous and you're so tired. You just want a comfort food. So for me, that comfort food was bagels and mashed potatoes. You know, mashed potatoes were warm, so that was my lunch and dinner, and then bagels was my breakfast. So it, I got it through. So you got to do what you got to do. Hey, Nicole Giller here. Those are actually great choices. I mean, those that is healthy to me. I mean, what you don't have to just eat broccoli. I mean, bagel, cream cheese, mashed potatoes, cheese. I mean, those are all like vitamins, minerals, whole grains protein, fat. I mean, to me, that sounds like it's, it is a good choice you know, that, that you are making really good choices despite just, you know, not feeling that well. And I think that that really highlights the fact that healthy is really what is healthy in the moment. So what's healthy for someone the day after chemo may not be what's healthy, you know, three years after treatment, but it's, you have to define what healthy is in accordance to what your goals are. So if your goals are to lose weight, that's one thing. If your goals are to maintain your weight or just to feel better, right? So it's all about what your goals are and kind of fitting it into that space. And I think another thing to keep in mind is depending on the treatment that someone might be going through, you know, if radiation for head and neck cancer patient and their severe mucositis or their bone marrow transplantation, um, obviously, you know, liquid foods, whether it's a smoothie that they make and it's, you know, full of ice cream or whatever they can tolerate really. Jess, what do you think? Yeah, Jessica Taff here. So I agree exactly with what Kareem said. People have a lot of different side effects during chemotherapy, and so it's hard to to make a meal plan for everybody in general and make recommendations that really fit as a blanket across the board. So it depends what kind of side effects you're having. If you're one of the people whose white blood cell counts go very, very low, we're going to have different recommendations than we may for someone else who's not experiencing that. We may start to make recommendations that require a neutropenic diet or foods that are cooked, not foods that are unwashed or raw. But typically for my patients who are undergoing treatment and don't have that, I really recommend that they eat whatever they can tolerate, not focus on weight loss, really focus on calories and focus on protein, particularly if they're going into or coming out of a surgery because we want to make sure they have adequate wound healing. So I think that's, that's really good advice. One of the things that people get told all the time is, oh, you're, you're diagnosed with cancer. Well, you know, 
I have, you got to do this diet. You know, Isabella, did you have that experience? Did people tell you, oh, I have to eat, you got to eat this, you got to do this diet, you know, these fads, these supplements, you got to take this juice. People, you know, I was like, oh, you're diagnosed with cancer. And they're like, oh, you have to try this. You have to eat this. And it's just like, well, it doesn't work like that. Because at some point you start turning the bottles and you start reading the ingredients. You know, I can't really have this. I'm trying to get my nutrition from the, you know, from the food. And, you know, sometimes some big companies approach you and they say, oh, my shakes are so great. You have to try it. And, you know, as a cancer patient, I think it would be great for you if you just, you know, try them and drink them and promote them. And I'm like, people, back away from me. You know, I mean, I know what I have to eat. I know what I have to drink. And I'm just saying no. And I think that's important. We have to be just like our own advocates. And I think my, you know, my team was amazing. I remember when I had a little cold during my chemotherapy and I said, should I take a vitamin C in a tablet? And my team said, no, any vitamins try to get from your food. And I think that was like the best advice I ever got because we all like, like thinking like, okay, I have a cold. Let me go take a vitamin C. Oh, I have an X. Maybe I have a low energy. Let me take another vitamin, maybe vitamin B. And we all just like some of us, I mean, not all of us, I'm sorry. Some of us are like, oh, let me just go and eat this vitamin. But is the vitamin content in a pill actually is going to help us or actually is going to hurt us? And I think we have to step back and, you know, and when we get first diagnosed, we are lost. We don't know what's the right and what's the wrong answer until we start, like, reading and talking to our team, even if it's an oncologist, even if it's a... Um, you know, like a breast surgeon, even if it's a nutritionist, you know, you, you get all those informations. And then I think, although, you know, take all the information that my oncologist has, my breast surgeon has, my chemotherapist has, my nutritionist has, and then I just try to make the best decision that works for me without trying to listen outside, outside those, all those mm-hmm. people trying to tell me, get my supplement, get my smoothie, get my shake because it's the best. And I think that's the most important thing. You just have to make the best decision for yourself. So that I think that's you have to advocate for yourself. So important. I'm curious to hear what all of you guys think about that when patients come to you with, well, I read this. Did you see this study? You know, what do you tell them? Um, you know, they found it on the internet. And, and we all know everyone's going online, going on social media to get their information. So what's your approach to talking to these patients? So I usually tell patients not to listen to their brother's cousin's mother who's giving them advice on something like this, because every cancer case is so different that it's hard to make a general recommendation regarding this. And I always tell my patients, if there's something that you think you should be doing that I'm not telling you, just come to me and ask, because then we can clarify if it's something that you really should be doing. But Isabella had some great points about how there's a lot of external pressure on patients to try to do other things that modulate their cancer care. And it's really hard to try to ignore those, but that maybe for that particular person, they're really not necessary. So as the oncologist, I often recommend against taking supplements because we also don't know about how they're going to interact with the chemotherapy and we don't want them to cause more problems down the line. I agree with Jessica. I think um, there's even been some studies that have shown that certain supplements actually can make certain chemotherapy agents less effective 
like Isabella said, if you can get your vitamins from a well-balanced diet that's preferred over taking supplements that are really not as regulated as, you know, medications are by the FDA. Yeah. And then I also, um, Nicole Giller, uh, dietitian. So I also just try to simplify. So, um, I agree with Jessica where I say, okay, you know, outside of your oncology team, you know, that's not where you want to get your, you know, recommendations, bring it back to your oncology team. See if you can meet one-on-one with your dietitian in your cancer center, and then just simplifying in the way that you don't need added. I mean, even the liquid supplements, even if for some patients, Insure boost is great, but for some that's added. And it's like, we don't even need to go there. You can just start with food first, you know, all types of foods. What do you like? What can you tolerate? And we kind of build from there um, because patients are really overwhelmed. And even beyond like um, the cancer diet recommendations, there's just diets out there anyway, just for people who aren't in cancer, you know, so there's just so many. So I would just try to simplify and, you know, bring it back to your oncology team, like Jessica said, and just look at what foods that you like that we can, you know, keep focused on so that you don't have to supplement. And yeah, I agree. No supplements during cancer treatment. Absolutely. Um, Cause you don't want those to interrupt or cause toxicity. So now shifting gears a little bit to life after cancer. So, you know, people kind of, you know, you're, you're go, 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 you're focused on the chemo, you're focused on getting your surgery, radiation, whatever your treatment's going to be. And then after the surgery, you know, after whatever cancer treatment, people say, okay, I really want to, I want to be healthy. You know, I want to change my lifestyle. So that's a very broad topic and that's hard for people to do, but what are some little things that people can start with. You know, so I tell my patients who maybe don't exercise, you know, go for a 10 minute walk. And then the next time you're going to do 15 minutes and you'll feel good after that. So you'll want to walk more, you'll want to eat healthier food. So what are some little tips and tricks that you tell people who say to you, I want to get healthy, but I don't know where to start. And I think this is not necessarily just for cancer patients. I think that can be, you know, brought into anyone who's looking for that to make that change in their life. Uh, this is Corrine, um, oncology fellow. So I tell my patients, you know, that are, you know, undergoing cancer survivorship to avoid sugary drinks. Um, I think that's a major thing that people can easily eliminate from their diet that can make a significant change, um, in how much empty calories you consume. Um, also, you know, just when you're grocery shopping, shopping in the perimeter of the grocery store, you know, where all the Fresh produce tends to be avoiding the middle sections where it's going to be more salt-laden, processed, refined grain products. And so just really just choosing, you know, more real food and less processed food, trying to avoid the drive-through, things like that. This is Jessica Taff here. But Eleanor, I think you had such a good point. Like basically start with small steps. So if you're a patient who doesn't really eat any fruits or vegetables, try to incorporate one vegetable a day. You don't have to start with your five or six servings a day, but just start with one thing. Try to make your plate more colorful. Or if you're someone who doesn't exercise, start with five minutes. Or even, I live in the suburbs, so just start by parking a little bit farther in the parking lot than you typically would and walk just a little bit further. And the more you get used to that, the more inclined you'll be to do even more. And so I think starting really small is important because when you make these grand plans, it's a lot easier to become frustrated and to just stop. But if you do something small, it's easier to incorporate into your life on a daily basis. Absolutely. Yep. Same for me. I usually start with fruits and veggies just because there's so many, specifically for cancer prevention, um, there's fiber in there, feeling fuller, 
you know, just being able to be creative with fruits and vegetables, um, whatever they are. Um, also just showing patients that, you know, uh, one big thing is, um, patients believe that they, you know, have to go organic or they have to stay away from canned, just educating them. Like you can still have frozen fruits and veggies. You can go for canned fruits and veggies and just make sure you get the ones that are no salt added or, you know, um, that all fruits and veggies are good choices. So they don't feel so defeated that they have to go buy fresh organic, um, just to really start with anything and small goals. Like everyone is saying, you know, just, you know, make a goal and get comfortable with that goal instead of, you know, just giving it a week, just really try to figure out how to incorporate more fruits and veggies. That's really where I begin. And, you know, even beyond nutrition to help with that, we talk a lot about, you know, are you hydrated? How's your sleep? How's your stress management? Like all that ties back into how we eat and how we feel around our food choices. So I kind of try to include other little bits beyond nutrition to help the the anti or the post-treatment aspects. Isabel, what was your experience like after treatment? How did you get back to, you know, feeling healthy and feeling good? Not that you didn't during chemo, but you know, what was it like afterwards? I mean, so like, so I had a chemo and then I had a 28 radiations. And after I finished my radiation, I just felt like, you know, you're running the marathon and, you know, you finally cross that finish line. And instead of like cheering, you just fall on your face for like a first month. And then I got up and I'm like, okay, I have to do something. So I started, you know, riding my stationary bike a little bit more. And um, I started drinking even more water than before. I started eating more veggies um, and a fruit and I just started like, uh, you know, I just had to get my energy back because, you know, like you said, it was like, go, go, go. And although I was trying, I was feeling like I was eating healthy. I was looking, you know, what I was doing and I was exercising. It's still, it takes a toll. So I think it's, I mean, I gave myself permission for that like first month or two to just kind of feel tired and just like, give myself like a little pat in the back and just like be okay you need a break just relax you know you you were so good um but then it was just like okay you know we 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 have to change things and like I said you know um I was talking to Jessica she's not with us tonight but um you know I've been working with her for the past few weeks how do we think even about the proteins? You know, we all think like, um, you know, proteins from the animal. And she told me how we can do the proteins from the veggies, more beans and lentils and stuff like that. Um, so I think, you, you know, the good step is to find like good um, nutritionist, either oncology nutritionist or holistic nutritionist that, them, that can work with you. Come, come up with some plan that works for you because we're all different and we all have different... Um, needs and we all you know recover differently um so find someone who can you can talk to and can build that plan for you and help you kind of like map it like how how are you going to move forward Mm -hmm. because at the beginning i was like for when i was first diagnosed i would go to the store and i would spend like an hour in the house reading boxes reading the ingredients and just driving myself crazy is this good or is this not good and right now you know i just kind of like give myself a little bit like a break um, I know what I have to avoid. I, I thought, you know, I, I know what I can eat and I just, um, you know, and, and, and everyone will get there uh, one way or the other and you will figure that was the best for you. But for sure, stay away from sugary sodas. Once in a while, I do have a steak. I mean, once like maybe every six months. But that's it's like okay. my treat. 
that's mm-hmm. okay to do that because if you completely deprive yourself and restrict your if the, those di- those life those are diets right they're not lifestyle changes so I think it's absolutely I tell people it is absolutely okay you're at a barbecue and you want a burger you should eat the burger and you should feel good about the burger you shouldn't feel guilty but maybe you don't eat the burger you know every day exactly so I, I think it's just and I don't eat burger every day I don't eat fries every day but it's just like and I say just like I travel a lot and as most of you know follow me on Instagram um, so during like when we're home, I cook a lot, you know, I take my to, to work, I take my own lunch, you know, I make the lunch for my husband, I prep the meals, because I know when I'm on the road, when I travel, I'm not going to have those choices, you know, I don't know what those meats or food is coming from although you know when when you're in california i mean everything is like so accessible organic and so like you know grass-fed and everything is amazing it's like so easy so you know making those choices that if you can make if you can cook at home if you can make those meals at home so then when you even go for a dinner um or like if you're on a vacation and when you order something you just don't feel guilty then because you know you're doing that most of the time when you're home, you, you eat what you cook and, you know, it's just, it, it's, so when you go away, just, just give yourself a break. From an oncologist perspective, so Corinne and Jess, I'm curious on, on your thoughts on this, right? So I know what I say people get, you know, soy, that's what everyone wants to know. And no matter how many times I say soy is safe, I don't think people believe me. So tell me, just let's all, if we all say it, maybe everyone will believe me. <laughs> Yes, soy is so soy is safe. It does not contain estrogen, and it helps even possibly there may it may help reduce risk over time. And it's a great protein source. Soy is safe. Jessica Taffier. So I always tell patients everything is safe in moderation. So it's mm-hmm. fine to eat soy. It's fine to eat tofu. It's not going to be your only source of protein or the only thing that you eat. It's just not going to be. You don't. You can't. You can't exist on that. So there's no reason to avoid it. It's definitely safe. Karine Tawaji here. I agree um, Agree that soy is safe. And um, in terms of a protein choice, I mean, it's high protein, low fat um, compared to other animal products. But I think like Jessica said, anything in moderation. Is- okay. So, I mean, um, from because I was estrogen positive, so I was always told to stay away from soy and not all soy is created equal, as they say. Um, so what are the best, like the purest, clear sources of the soy that you would recommend to the breast cancer patient that actually is estrogen positive. As like I said, as I was told that not all soy is created equal. And I think the point though, is that if you've heard it, Isabella, that means every, you know, there is a lot of people out there who've heard that. So let's, let's talk about that. Well, I think it sort of depends. So like, let's say if you're like not a vegetarian, and you're concerned about soy, um, and it's not something that you have on a regular basis for your protein source, then I would just try to support that patient in that they, you know, just re- reducing the food fear and understanding that is a, is a safe choice so they don't feel like they're always scrutinizing all labels or worried about every little menu item. If they're having, you know, they're not vegetarian or vegan, then that's probably something that's not going to be in their diet very much. And I would, I would just try to alleviate that fear and have them choose any foods with any type of soy. Um, if they're, you know, whether that's an ingredient or like a main protein source. Um, but then if they're, if they don't have as many very protein options, then, um, I mean, soy milk, edamame, those are, those are, you know, like, did you want to, I guess you could say 
low amount of ingredients if that's what you're thinking like clean because like even tofu is a great you know a great choice or like a veggie dog is a great choice but maybe the ingredient list is longer and if someone wanted to stay away from that then yeah like edamame and soy milk is a are good choices yeah and I think that if you don't people don't have to eat soy you know there's a lot of other protein sources so I think if anyone is fearful of that you know I think what Nicole said is really important is just getting rid of the fear. And I think there's a lot of fear, not just about soy, there's a lot of fear about gluten, there's a lot of fear about dairy. So I saw someone the other day who said, well, I was told I have to go dairy-free, gluten-free, and be plant-based. And I said, well, you don't actually have to do any of those things. You can if you want to, but all of those things are safe. And like Jess said, in moderation, you know, everything in moderation. And one of the things that people don't talk about when you say, okay, I'm going to go dairy-free, you know, I think not all dairy is created equal, right? You're not going to gorge on cheese. That's what the cholesterol, you know, cholesterol is high, but yogurt and things are great. And what people don't realize is when they give up dairy, you're giving up a huge source of calcium. And then where do you get your calcium? You get it from supplements. And we know calcium supplements, you want to limit those because there's maybe increased kidney stones and heart disease. So everything is, you know, a give or take a little bit. Isabel, I think you bring up a really good point also that a lot of patients feel like sometimes after treatment, they're a little bit lost because you have these weekly visits with your oncologist and all of a sudden you finish treatment. And like you said, you fall flat on your face. You just need a little bit of time to recoup and then you recoup and you feel like, well, I haven't seen my oncologist. I'm kind of left alone. And nutrition is a a great way to carry on that relationship with your oncologist, especially if you think about it in it from a prevention standpoint. So when we talk about nutrition in patients who have completed treatment, it's really about a risk reduction. So we know that decreasing weight to a normal BMI decreases the risk of recurrence. And so I try to approach it from that standpoint. Like we're, we're not really limiting what, you're, what you can eat, but we're trying to reduce the risk of your cancer from recurring. And nutrition is one of the ways that we can try to do that. So I was diagnosed at 33. And then at 34, I was uh, put in a menopause. First, like... Um, medical and then I mean first chemical because of the injection and then uh, medical so maintaining my um, you know good BMI it, it takes a lot I mean you know I exercise I watch what I eat and I still put some pounds on me you know sometimes I think women especially post-cancer and menopause are thrown into this okay I had my treatment you know I you know I was looking what I was eating I was maintaining my weight, and then we are thrown in a menopause, either we like it or not. Um, And like I said, it's a little bit harder to maintain that weight. So what would you, any of you recommend for those of us who struggle in maintaining that weight because of menopause? um, What can we do? Like, what what would you recommend to us? So I can tell you, I'll I'll start. So I think, you know, you're, you're kind of fighting, sometimes it may feel like you're fighting a losing battle, right? So you could be exercising could be eating well, and there's things that are working against you. So the drugs, they make it easier to gain weight. Menopause, your metabolism is going to slow down. And you have to really work. It almost feels twice as hard to maintain your weight. Some of that is being patient. Your body will kind of re- adapt to, you know, it'll, it'll eventually kind of settle out where it needs to be, but that can take time. Really looking at people's activity levels. And this is a big point that I make to my patients. So you could get your 30 minutes a day or 45 minutes a day of exercise, but it's what are you doing for the rest of the day? 
So are you taking the stairs? Are you parking far away and walking, you know, right? We all like to park close, but are you parking far away and taking those extra two to three minutes? All those little things add up. So when, you know, especially for anyone wearing a step tracker, I say to patients, where are your steps coming from? The bulking, the bulk of your steps should not come from your workout. The bulk of your steps should come from your day to day. And those are just little things you can add in. And then really looking at, you know, the holidays are coming. Are you going to take that extra cookie? Are you going to take that extra piece of chocolate? We all think we eat healthier than we do. If you write it down, you identify these little things that, you know, add up and make a difference. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, it's, if you can, if you have a survivorship clinic or you have a dietitian near you um, to try to work with a dietitian so they can, you know, basically it's not, dietitians don't write meal plans. They really look at, you know, individually what you need for your specific needs and the, the journey, wherever you are on your cancer journey. But I think that um, we do end up eating more than we think. And sometimes it just takes, okay, what is my baseline? You know, that you are doing really well with exercise and making good food choices. Yeah. Just actually getting a baseline, getting curious about what you're eating and, and just figuring out actually, you know, how many calories you're eating and how you can switch that up. Um, you know, and some people don't count calories, but I think, and it's not something I'm saying you're supposed to do for a long amount of time, but just kind of figure out where you're at. Sometimes I'll work with clients and, you know, they're eating, you know, double their calorie needs. And, you know, it's just like, okay, well, we can make some progress from there. Really taking a look at what's actually, you know, what we're actually eating. Um, it helps to make some adjustments and, you know, make some changes. Yeah, I totally agree. I think um, just even just having an idea of what different food groups, how, how many calories every food group has, even if you just do it for, let's say, you know, a week or two, just to give you an idea. Um, and then also in terms of portion control, knowing, you know, what types of food are extremely calorie dense, so that you have an idea of what an appropriate portion size is, because, you know, something like almonds can or trail mix, for example, can be seen as extremely healthy. But you know, if you're having a full cup of it, it's essentially a full meal, you could be eating probably a hamburger for the same amount of calories as you're eating in trail mix. And so kind of being aware of that, just so that when you make choices in the future, you know, you could have three apples or, and be much fuller than, you know, whatever amount of trail mix you had, it makes you more aware when you're making the decisions on what snack or meal you're going to be making. I think in addition to all of this, it's important to remember that you're human and you need to give yourself a break. So you don't always need to spend two hours in the grocery store reading all of the labels it's okay to go into the grocery store and grab something as long as when you look at your overall nutrition, it's generally good. So you're human, you're normal, you're going to mess up on this nutritional journey. Um, but the goal is that you're moving in the right direction. And your doctors don't expect you to make major life changes after going through a major diagnosis and treatment so quickly. So it's a process and we expect that and we're with you on that journey. That's really important that, you know, what decision you make in one day does not define you. So it is, like just said, it's a journey. Every day is a chance. And I think that this is a pitfall that a lot of people go through. They say things like, oh, it's Monday. You know, the hashtag never miss a Monday. I hate that hashtag. Because what happens if you do miss a Monday? Like, is the week over? Did you, like, ruin all your goals for the week? Like, no. No. You do what you can when you can. So just because you didn't work out that day doesn't mean that that's it. The week's shot. I'm going to, you know, binge for the rest of the week. No, 
you know, every day is a chance to do something good for your body. I think, and you guys can chime in on this, that maybe some days what's good for your body is, you know, going out to dinner and eating that burger and fries and having a glass of wine. That's what's good for your mental health that day. So there's no rules when it comes to this. I think you just take each day at a time and do what's right for you in that moment. By the way, I never thought, I never knew there was a hashtag, never miss a Monday. So I'm missing something. I mean, I'm not missing something, but I'm like, yeah, come so on, people. We <laughs> there's a hashtag that basically says if you should work out every Monday. But like, okay, well, if you don't work out every Monday, that, like, who, who cares? Well, it's like the whole thing with the New Year's. Like, you have to start with the New Year, and there's like a bunch of sales for the gym equipment. It's just like, if you feel like it, you go for a walk. If you feel like it, you you know you exercise. Especially as a cancer patient, um, you know there's no such a thing like, oh, I have to work out five days a week. It's just do something, like Dr. Templisky said. You know, even use the stairs instead of the elevator. Park mm-hmm. a little bit farther during, you know, on the parking, and just walk to the store. Um, just go for like a five ten minute walk. So it's just like never miss a Monday. And like no, oh, I, hate, yeah, I hate that so much. <laughs> Uh, other thoughts yeah i think that it, it and also i see um pa- cancer patients will have different goals at the end um sometimes they you know feel like they are making all the right food choices and they just need you know support and confidence that they you know didn't cause their cancer from the foods they mm-hmm. ate and they can continue on making um great choices and they don't have to add to that that actually what they're doing is really is great already. And so it kind of depends as far as nutrition goes, you know, maybe they need to exercise more, or maybe they need to increase more fruits and veggies, or maybe they just need to be encouraged, you know, kind of like with that mental health and stress management about the fact that, you know, they are making great choices, you know, before, during and after cancer treatment. And, um, you know, just kind of give them that boost of confidence and support. So it's very individualized on what every uh, patient needs, um, as far as nutrition goes and, yeah, everyone's not the same and that's okay. Everyone has different goals. Absolutely. So as we wrap up, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want that anyone wants to touch on or that you feel from your expertise is important for people to know? That it's important to have a dialogue with your doctor about these sorts of things. Having the dialogue, having the conversation, I think being open. And I also think that it's important to have a dialogue with your family. I actually have a question. So Jessica, do you feel like your pa- like you don't know what's going on as far as how they're feeling about nutrition and you kind of like find out later? Like, what do you mean keeping the dialogue with the oncologist? Like, what, if, what do you feel like you're missing? Well, I think sometimes when patients are going through chemotherapy, they're so focused on the chemotherapy and how they're feeling that nutrition kind of is something that gets pushed by the wayside and they don't necessarily think of their oncologist as a resource for nutritional topics. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. while it's true that there's not significant nutritional training that we go through, we can still be a resource because just being in practice, we've seen what's worked for some patients and worked for other patients. So mm-hmm. a lot of patients will sometimes hold off on asking questions because they don't want to, you know, seem uneducated or seem naive in a certain area, but there's really no question that's too small. And so I think it's important that if a patient's even just not sure what to eat or what they can eat, that they ask it. It's always surprising to me that after the fact, patients will say, you know, I didn't really know what to eat or I don't really know what to do going forward. And I would think to myself like, yes, maybe part of that is my fault that I didn't bring that up. But ask me, you know, we're here for you and we're here to create that dialogue. And so your oncologist is not just your research for only your chemo. We're your resource for everything going forward, cancer care, nutrition. And if we don't know the answer, we refer to people like you, Nicole, 
who are, you know, have a lot more education in this and can answer our question. I think a lot of patients, oh, I didn't know about this, but, you know, unfortunately in the world of medicine that we live in today, you do have limited time to spend with patients and we are not mind readers. And so I think ask the question, you know, we're happy to answer, but I, I, that's really important. It's communication has to be a two-way street. And, you know, the one thing it was like, like Dr. Templeski said, like, you know, the time with a doctor is limited and I valued my time with a doctor because I knew like they, you know, they had their patients. And so I always like drawing like myself, my first appointments were every two weeks. So I would have like a little notebook and I would write like the questions that I had. And then during my appointments, I would just like, okay, I have this question, this question, and this question. This way, like I already was prepared. You know, I didn't waste their time. I was like, oh, what about this? What about that? You know, with that two weeks, I, I was able to wait. And so if there's something I can recommend for any of the patients, just if you have any questions, make a little note. And this way, during your visit, you go just like, okay, this, these are my questions. Let's just go down the list. And um, they, I think they can help you more like that than just, you know, wait and just be like, oh, I'm afraid to ask this question. My team, I value my, the time of the team, of my team, because even that sometimes I had to wait like a few minutes longer to get to my appointment. But I, I knew that the time that I was like, they were running late, it was because they were spending that time with someone who needed. And if we can all value our time and the, the time of our team, uh, I think everything can go much smoother. And uh, like I said, write the questions and just this way it's just going to be so much better. That's just my two cents. Absolutely. That's so, so important and great advice. And always make sure to ask to see the registered dietitian too. Your oncologist can refer out or they should be available for you. So definitely, because we, we will talk lots about nutrition only really. So yeah, ask the dietitian. No, I try to, this current project, I try to refer almost all of my patients to our oncology nutritionist, just because I think anyone, regardless of their cancer, their stage, their treatment plan can benefit from some education on some level uh, along their journey. These were amazing points. And I think just fantastic resource for anyone who is going, is experiencing cancer, has gone through cancer, and I think will be, it's just such a great uh, conversation and, you know, great resource for patients. Uh, so as we wrap up, can you just please say where anyone can find you on social media? I know we said it in the intro, but uh, that was a long time ago. And so I'll start. So I am Dr. Duplinski on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I am Nicole Giller um, at Oncology Nutrition Strong on Facebook and Instagram. I'm Jessica Taff, and I'm My Cancer Doctor on Instagram. I'm Kareem Tawaji, and I'm at, at the MD Kitchen on Instagram, and Dr. Kareem Tawaji on Twitter. Um, I'm Isabella G, and on uh, Instagram, you can find me under Isabella underscore GGD, patient, advocate, and uh, cancer driver. Fantastic. Well, thank you guys so much. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. The women on today's episode are truly experts in their field. And more than that, they are so dedicated and passionate about what they do and helping others. I think the main takeaways from today's episodes are one, listen to your entire team. The group of people, whether it be your oncologist, your nutritionist, your surgeon, et cetera, et cetera, the group of people that come together to help you treat your cancer and help you live life after cancer. Second takeaway is health and nutrition and wellness is not rigid. It is not all or nothing, 
all the time. You don't have to be perfect every time. And it is a journey for everyone. It's something that we can all work on every single day. So, and I feel very strongly about this, that not every day is going to be perfect and that's okay. Not every day has, has to be the best. As long as you're making conscious efforts to feel good and do things that make you feel good, I think that is the most important thing. Thank you again for listening. And as always, if you enjoyed today's episode, and I hope that you did, please take a moment to leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts, as that is the best way to help me grow the show and attract more listeners. Thank you all again, and I'll see all of you next week.